Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Do not be angry or distressed with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph and his brothers have an uh, extended story. It begins in Genesis 37 and continues all the way end to the end of the book. This is the, this is the second to last uh, important conversation that they have together. There's going to be one more in chapter 50, but this is the first one with the big reveal. Well, if you don't know the story, indulge me just a moment as I get a little bit on the table. Jacob had 12 sons by four different women. One of those women was Rachel. That was the wife that he loved dearly. The others he had brought on because his uncle Laban had pushed them on him. Jacob was a successful businessman, and uh, his uncle wanted his daughters done by rightly. And so Jacob ends up with four wives and 12 sons and one daughter. So Rachel has two boys. Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph is Jacob's favorite. Now that's a problem. For those of you who have been parents or those of you who have been children, this whole thought about favorites in families is a big deal. It's something on the one hand to be avoided, and yet on the other hand, it's sometimes treacherous to try to avoid it and begin with. And you all, I suppose, know what I'm talking about. It's one of those things, though, with parents. First kid comes along, and you don't even know if you should touch it, because you might break it. And everything is a challenge, and you're nervous. I was the fourth kid in my family. By the time I came along, they gave me knives to juggle. Well, Joseph is the favorite son of the favorite wife. And, and Jacob wasn't all too keen on hiding the fact either. He gave Joseph all the choicest presents and all the other brothers. Well, they kind of, they got fed up with this. And they got angry. And they acted on their anger. They were getting ready to throw him into a pit and stone him to death to kill him and be done with him and be away from him. And Joseph wasn't all that great about it either, because the Lord kept giving him these dreams, you see, kept giving him these dreams about the fact that there was going to come a day when Joseph himself was going to be the sun, moon, and stars. He was going to be the, the head of everything. He was going to be the top dog in the world, and all of his family and all those around were all going to bow down and worship him. And instead of just taking those dreams and putting them away into his heart for the time when he was going to need them, because there was going to come a time when he was going to need them to comfort himself, he blabbed about them. 
He told his brothers, guess what God told me about you and me and how you're going to fall down and worship me someday. Well, that didn't quite sit right with them all that well either. And his father, Jacob, says, you know, why are you telling them all this stuff? <laughs> you're making it even harder for all of us to get along with each other. So his brothers decide to kill him. Well, they get him into the pit. Well, long and lo and behold, a band of traders comes along. They're on their way to Egypt. And so one brother, Reuben, says to the other ones, look, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him off. We'll fake his death and tell dad he's dead. But his blood won't really be on our hands. We'll just have faked his death. And they agree to this. So they get money for him. And they uh, kill a sheep, and they take the coat of many colors or long sleeves or however you want to translate that, and they dip it in the blood, and they bring it back to uh, Jacob, and they, and they break their father's heart. Your son is dead. And Jacob goes into a, a, a deep depression. There's really no other way to describe it. He's inconsolable. And his brothers, Joseph's brothers, kind of finally see that, well, maybe that wasn't such a great idea, but there's no way to get the genie back in the bottle. The boy's on his way down to Egypt. So Joseph goes down to Egypt, and he has several experiences there. The sellers, uh, the merchants sell him into indentured servitude to a man named Potiphar. And he demonstrates some ability in management. And Potiphar keeps giving him more and more responsibilities until finally he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife decides she's got an, a hankering for Joseph and asks him to spend some extra time with her, cleaning it up for the younger ears in the audience. And Joseph says, I cannot. How can I do this? Uh, the God of Israel has already shared with us that this is impossible for me. And so Potiphar's wife uh, accuses Joseph of having done what she had invited him to do. And so even though he is innocent, Potiphar accuses him. He is convicted and sent to prison. So now he's down at the bottom of the barrel, not just at the bottom of a well or the bottom of a pit, but he's right there in prison. And he stays there for quite a while. While he stays there, he learns a bit of wisdom about what it is to live under God's reign and rule and a little bit of humility at the same time. There's two others in the prison with him, a baker and a, a cup bearer from Pharaoh's household. And uh, each of them is distraught because each of them has had a dream. Well, we already know from Joseph's story that he has got a, a thing with dreams. And so he tells them, you know, what's the dreams? Why are you so concerned about them? Well, the baker tells him his dream. He was there baking again for Pharaoh. And all of the 
breads that he had made for Pharaoh get carried off from the basket that he's got on the top of his head by birds. I don't know what that means. And Joseph says, well, what about you? What about your dream to the cupbearer? Well, I had a dream where I was back giving Pharaoh his cup again. And three days later, he promoted me again. Well, Joseph has to tell the bad news to the baker. Apparently, in three days, you're going to lose your head. And I don't just mean you're going crazy. And to the cupbearer, apparently, you're going to be exalted back to your position again. You're going to be right there alongside Pharaoh, tasting the cup and making sure there's no poison in it. Great job, but somebody's got to do it. Being the canary in the cage. Well, and that's what happens. Joseph says goodbye to these two that he has spent this time with, and he asks the cupbearer to remember him. When you get back to Pharaoh, let him know that I'm here, and perhaps he'd let me out. Well, the baker does lose his head. He's executed, and the cupbearer goes back to his old job, and he's there tasting the wines and so forth for Pharaoh to make sure there's no poison in the cup. But he forgets about Joseph, and Joseph spends a few more years at the bottom of that prison. Until the day comes when Pharaoh himself has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream where he sees seven fat cows on the edge of the Nile River, and he sees seven scrawny cows at the edge of the Nile River. And they're both eating at the edge of the Nile River when suddenly the scrawny cows look up and they see the fat cows and they decide to eat them. The scrawny cows eat the fat cows. And Pharaoh says, what the hey? That's a cow joke. So he calls all of his wise men together, and these wise guys, they give him all kinds of grief about it. They don't know what to say. Until finally the cupbearer, ding-dong, light bulb goes off, and there, there, there's guy, Joseph. He's down in prison. He told me what my dream meant, and, and he told the baker what his dream meant, and both of them were right. Both of those interpretations were correct. I'm still here. The baker's gone. Maybe we ought to get Joseph up here and have him tell Pharaoh what the story, what the dream means. So Pharaoh does that. Joseph comes up out from the pit, out from the prison, and hears the dream and, and says, well, I don't have an interpretation, but the Lord does. And this is what the Lord has to say about this. There's coming seven years of Abundant harvests, lots of food, extra food, far more food than any of us can eat if we do this right. So if we ration things for the first seven years while this abundant harvest is coming in and we store up all the extra, fill the barns full, fill all the silos up, then we'll have something left over to eat during the seven years when there is no harvest. And Pharaoh said, this sounds great. This sounds like a perfect plan. It's such a good plan, Joseph. Why don't you be in charge of it? And so from the depths of the prison house, Joseph finds himself 
at the right hand of Pharaoh. That whole journey prefigures a fair bit our Lord's own life and journey. Betrayed by his brothers, sent down into the depths of prison, even descending into hell, and then to be exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. But as the time goes on, and as the storehouses all get filled up, those seven years of famine come along. And they don't just hit Egypt, they hit all the rest of the world around, the entire region. And so Jacob and his family, they're in Canaan, they have no food to eat. But they hear through the grapevine that there's food down in Egypt. So they should go down there and buy food, bring it up. And so they do. They go down and lo and behold, there's Joseph. Now the rest of this story for the next couple of chapters gets a little complicated in the fact that Joseph really wants to see his, uh, his, his brother, Benjamin. And Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go off to Egypt because he's already lost Joseph, he thinks. And he doesn't want to lose the second son of his favorite wife, Rachel. You're keeping all the players straight? You ought to hand out scorecards on the way into church today. So Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin down, so he sends the other brothers down and keeps Benjamin back. Well, Joseph wants to see Benjamin, so he doesn't sell everything right away. He kind of plays some games with his brothers to get them to come back until finally he tells them, you've got to bring Benjamin back before I'm going to get this deal done with you. But finally, when all the brothers are there assembled, and this has been decades now since they've seen each other, there's no way that they have ever imagined that Joseph is either still alive or is certainly here the one who has got the say-so over all of this land of Egypt. And in that moment, when they're all assembled there with Jacob back home, fretting about what's going to happen to them all, Joseph reveals himself. And he says, look what God has done. Now, the first line of the passage that we have today is a telltale sign that things are not quite figured out yet. Do you remember what it said? But his brothers couldn't answer him because they were dismayed at his presence. Here's the guy we sold into slavery. And now he's got an army at his beck and call. With the snap of his fingers, we're all dead. There's a lot of Egyptian soldiers with a lot of swords hanging around. And this is the guy we sold into slavery. This is the one we faked his death about. They're not all that happy to see Joseph, or at least they're scared about what's going to happen. But at the bottom of that pit and at the bottom of that prison, and over the course of this entire move of the last seven years of gathering the food and the last two years of seeing how the famine has wrecked havoc over the entire earth. And, and Joseph 
recognizing that <laughs> the position he's got and the work he's doing is truly, what do we say in the catechism, without any merit or worthiness in him, it's all by the grace of God that all of this has happened. He recognizes in that moment that regardless, regardless of what was in the mind of his brothers, regardless of the evil intent that they had, regardless of all the jealousy, regardless of all the anger and hatred, regardless of whatever motivations might have been there from the beginning, God was at work. Even, even in the horrors that he experienced, being separated from family, being falsely accused, living life in a prison, that all these things have run their course to bring about this moment. And Joseph has this moment of clarity, provided I'm absolutely certain by the work of the Holy Spirit, to look them in the eye and say, you know what? <laughs> look what God has done. You had your plans. But all of that fed into God's greater plan. Now, none of us at any of the points along the way probably could have seen what God was up to in any of that time and for any of those moments. But obviously, God had an end game in mind that none of us could have imagined when we were together so many years ago. God has brought this about so that you might be saved, so that I might be here to provide the saving, so that not only just us, but, but hundreds of thousands of people might be preserved because of what the Lord had planned. So these words of graciousness and forgiveness, they come to his brother's ears and the scene changes. From saying that they were dismayed at his presence, the passage ends and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This gives us an example of what Jesus is talking about when he says, love your enemies. And it's not a transactional thing where it's, where it's like, um, well, you, you never know who you're going to need to deal with later on, or, or you, never need, you never know who's going to have something you're going to need. It's a matter of working out of the same spirit all the time, the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of, of having one's heart baptized into Christ, dead to sin and alive in Christ, and thereby working with everyone in terms of the cross and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a matter of recognizing very authentically who we are, poor, miserable sinners, and the fact that everybody else is in the same boat as well poor miserable sinners though they be. And that our sufficiency, the thing that 
actually makes us all worthwhile is the fact that we've been called in a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ through our baptisms, adopted by him into his family. And so here we are, brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of us with that favored status, given a robe, not not just with long sleeves or many colors, but brilliant white with gold trim. And a crown to wear. A crown far exceeding even the crown that Joseph wore in Egypt. A crown bought with the crown that our Lord Jesus wore on the cross so that we could be crowned with him in the highest heavens. down into the pit, and then exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. Now this, as I said, is the second to last conversation that Joseph and his brothers have. There's one more in chapter 50. And that comes about because their father, Jacob, dies. And at that point, the brothers remember that maybe Joseph was just biding his time. They think maybe now that dad has died, now Joseph is going to go after us. And so they make up a story. They say, dad told us that he wanted us to tell you that when he died, you shouldn't seek revenge on us. <laughs> And they break Joseph's heart because he thought all that was done. But you hear what it is for people to, to have the words of forgiveness come to them and say, okay, I guess it's okay. But that the relationship is actually not yet healed, right? And they live with this fear that Somewhere along the line, the other shoe is going to drop. And something's going to trigger that moment when all the stored up anger and anxiety and, and hatred is going to come lashing out. And when J Joseph hears those words, he weeps again. Have you been living with that fear all these years, all this time that Jacob has been our father together with us? Has that been what it's been like for you? And he calls them all back together and he says, look, I forgive you. We are family. What you meant for evil, God has worked out for good. The hatchet is buried and it's not buried in your head or my head. It's just buried, dead and gone, never to see the light of day again because the Lord has provided his resurrection day. So living in the forgiveness of God and taking good stock of all that we have been blessed with by that word of forgiveness, which provides a, a full accounting, of course, of all that we need to be forgiven of and for, but that God's 
good mercy, his good grace, the blood of Jesus covering all of that brokenness provides this new day, provides this new day when we don't have to weep anymore. When the embrace of brothers and sisters in Christ, this remnant that the Lord has called together and provided for, can finally relax and enjoy the peace, the love, the hope that our life in faith provides. That, my friends, sounds a lot like the company of saints, the communion of saints, the fellowship of God's people that reflects the love of the Trinity and the life that God provides when he provides us his resurrection in Jesus Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit continues to make that reality true for us as we hear the forgiveness of our Father and share the forgiveness and love amongst ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ and keep the doors and windows wide open so that the next one walking along the side of the road who hears that God has one more thing to say, one more word of love to share, that all the things that you've experienced in this life that have seemed to account as one evil thing upon the next have all been bringing it together that you might hear and know. The word of the Lord, I forgive you. May there be peace in that heart as well. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God that passes all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen.